This podcast contains adult language and content. The stories in this show can be frightening and disturbing for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 7, Episode 6 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. I'm a big fan of the podcast and felt like it was time to submit my story of an extremely creepy peeping Tom, as well as my mom's story about her near kidnapping when she was a teenager. I'll start with my mom's, since it was way more intense and potentially connected to Ted Bundy when he was living in Utah. The event took place in 1975, when my mom was 16 years old. My mom lived in a small Utah town where everyone knew each other and the community in general was trusting. A little too trusting. I'll never fully comprehend how people back in those days didn't lock their doors and just hitchhiked all the time. I think people like Ted Bundy gave them a reason to do so later on, though. Anyway, the story begins with my mom volunteering to stay after a church activity to help clean up. She's always been selfless and happy to lend a helping hand. The activity ended at 7.30 p.m. with my mom's chatty nature and assisting with cleaning up. She didn't start heading home until around 8.15. She lived less than five blocks away from the church, so up until that point, she was fine walking to and from the building. It had gotten dark at that hour, though, and there were very few streetlights on. That's an important detail for later. So my mom begins her normal, routine walk back home. Nothing out of the ordinary happens for the first few minutes. But then a car slowly pulls up to the curb beside her. The driver rolls down the window. He offers to give my mom a ride home. She ducked down a bit, to see if she recognized him, but she didn't. She described the man to be white in his 30s with brown hair, bushy eyebrows, and a charming smile. Sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? My mom said that the car definitely wasn't the infamous tan Volkswagen Beetle. But when I looked up the timeline, this incident would have taken place just after he sold that car. My mom hadn't known that, and it made her skin crawl thinking about it. It makes me feel nauseous to picture her getting into Ted Bundy's car and realizing that the inside door handle had been purposefully removed to trap her and other victims. The fear-fueled panic following that discovery and the subsequent violence that they would face is bone-chilling. What's worse is that she actually briefly considered the offer but something in her gut told her not to get in, and thank God she listened. She politely said, No thanks. The weather's nice, and I enjoy the exercise. Thanks anyways. 
Thinking that that was that, she starts walking again. But the driver follows, his expression still relaxed and charming. Come on, he says, and laughs a little. I don't mind, really. Just let me take you home. Again, my mom politely declines and begins quickening her pace. But the driver matches it. She walks faster. He speeds up. My mom is suddenly very aware of how dark and isolated the street is. There was one measly street light in the distance, so the headlights of the car were the only real source of light, meaning that no one would see her if the driver were to take her by force. The thought made her blood run cold. She felt sick to her stomach. She knew she was less than two blocks away from home and was frantically trying to decide between going up to the nearest house and pounding on the door to get help or sprinting the rest of the way home. It turns out she didn't need to decide. Through some cosmic or divine intervention, two high school aged guys were rounding the corner, illuminated only by the headlights. As soon as the driver spotted them, he sped off and went down the opposite street from the guys. The disgusting coward clearly had no good intentions. Why else would someone quickly drive away from a teenage girl walking home alone after simply seeing two random guys? My mom did end up sprinting home after he peeled out. She raced through the front door, slamming and locking it behind her before bursting into tears. She was visibly shaking. Her parents were understandably concerned and confused. My mom told them what happened, and my dad called the cops. Fortunately, for the women and girls of Utah, it wasn't long after that that he was arrested for the first time and was immediately identified in a lineup by the badass Carol DeRanche. It's tragic that his crimes didn't end there, but I can't help but feel a bit relieved that Bundy wasn't actively hunting in Utah anymore. But whether or not this creepy man who approached my mother, an underage girl, on a very dark street was Bundy, they still were a monster. So on behalf of my mom, go fuck yourself and let's not meet. Now, for my story. 2014. I was a 19-year-old college student living in a house with five roommates. My best friend and I, at the time, shared the biggest bedroom on the ground floor closest to the front door. The event took place on a seemingly normal night. All but one of my roommates were home. Two friends of a roommate had also crashed at our place on a very lumpy pull-out sofa in the living room. They had been on a long camping journey together and were just happy to shower and sleep with a roof over their heads for the night. Everyone goes to bed at around 11 p.m. There weren't any issues. That was until about 2 a.m. when my friend slash roommate and I woke up to the sound of the doorbell. It was pressed multiple times. We weren't expecting anyone, and neither were the rest of the people at home. My friend, who was still half asleep and confused, went to the back door to check it out. But when she looked out, no one was there. She rolled her eyes and thought that it was likely a group of dumbass teenagers who had nothing better to do than ding-dong ditch random houses in the middle of the night. She tells me this, 
and though I feel a bit uneasy, we do end up going back to bed. But then it happens again, this time at 4 a.m. Same deal. No one's there. We were starting to get a bit more anxious, but we were so exhausted from the long school week that we could barely keep our eyes open and fell back to sleep. I think we had been asleep for less than 30 minutes when the whole house was awoken to the sound of a high-pitched scream, followed by what can only be described as a roar. I have never woken up so fast, with so much adrenaline and fear pulsing through me like that. Going from completely asleep to being startled awake was incredibly jarring. We had no idea what was going on initially, and I immediately thought, oh fuck, did the person who rang the doorbell get inside? But what actually happened was that one of my friends that had crashed in the living room had turned over and saw a man outside, pressed against the window, staring in, smiling wide. That's when she screamed and her boyfriend, who was asleep next to her, sprung out of unconsciousness. She frantically told him about the man, and there was a blur of motion in the window, which confirmed someone was out there. The roar was her boyfriend, who had gone into full fucking Viking mode. He grabbed his keys and sprinted out the door in only his boxers and a t-shirt to retrieve a small hatchet from their trunk, They had been using it to get firewood throughout their camping trip. He continued his incredibly loud screaming as he ran the way he thought the guy had gone, but quickly lost sight of him. He still swore and yelled out that that fucker would regret it if he even looked at that house again before returning. I don't know what the creep was expecting to happen, but I'm sure he shat himself when the boyfriend's flight-or-flight response was to chase him down with a hatchet in the dead of night. He returned to the house of terrified college students, where he and his girlfriend explained the situation. This time it took us a while to fall back asleep, but it seemed like the creep heeded the boyfriend's warning, because we never dealt with anything like that again. So shout out to the lumpy couch that made the girlfriend shift around to get Comfortable and thus alerting us all to the creep, who clearly didn't care that the house was packed. And also the boyfriend, whose insanely fast actions scared the ever-living fuck out of him. And to the man in the window, I hope you learned your lesson and quit doing whatever the fuck that was. So others, as well as myself, don't meet you. This past weekend, my girlfriend and I were invited to my older brother's wedding. When we first met, this was one of the big milestones of our relationship that we had talked about early, meeting the rest of the extended family and things like that. It just so happens that we were going to make an announcement to our family during this time that we had bought a house together and were planning to move in within the next month. A big step, I know, but something that we had been talking about for a long time due to the fact that we're in a long-distance relationship and have kept that going for the better part of six months. 
We move a lot faster than most couples, but sometimes when you know, you know. Anyway, I was planning on making this announcement to my family since they were all going to be in one spot at the same time. And with being the best man to my brother's wedding, it was something that I know my family would not miss, even despite having it in the middle of a pandemic. The wedding was in a small rural town in southern Ohio, the hometown of the bride, my future sister-in-law. The city is right in the middle of Amish country, with the bride being a devout Mennonite. The Mennonites are a religious group within the community of the Amish. They are therefore allowed to be more modern than what you would think of when you think of an Amish person. This particular house had two massive strips of solar panels supplying for the property, but the location of the house is still in the middle of miles of cornfields and pretty much nothing. My girlfriend had come in Thursday night with the plans to do a few things around Northeast Ohio before we packed up and readied to go to the South the next morning. I was nervous about driving, as usual, due to the fact that I previously had a neck injury in a car accident just a few years back and am now hyper-aware of the highway, fearful of the unexpected accidents that might occur. I had been trying to get a better handle on my anxiety during driving and have pretty much gotten used to the zoned-out feeling that comes when overwhelmed on the road. But that feeling is even stronger when my girlfriend is in the car because I would never want to be the reason something happened to her. It's a negative feedback loop, but I am working on it. We began our drive down to the Airbnb that my brother had reserved for the groomsmen and everything went fine. I got a little anxious when we went down a strip of two-way lanes where the speed limit is around 60 miles per hour, in my mind, making accidents less forgiving, as you can just smash into someone in the blink of an eye. But we made it through and observed the surrounding area, and how out of the way everything really was. When we got to the Airbnb, we were in the middle of nowhere. One main road leading to the driveway of the house, which was massive, with nearly eight bedrooms. Strangely enough, There was a big open window on the side of the kitchen, probably for the view of the sunrise over the farms nearby, but it was hard not to feel like we were being watched all throughout the day. The night before the wedding was the rehearsal dinner, and all went well until the groomsmen and I passed by this one house, and only this house. The weather that night was clear, and you could see every star in the sky due to the lack of lighting. But when we passed this one farmhouse in the middle of the pitch black night, we entered a cloud of thick fog. We didn't really think anything of it that night. We joked that the house must be haunted or something, that it was the only house that was covered in fog. And when we passed the house, the fog just disappeared. We kind of forgot about it the day of the wedding. The ceremony went overall well aside from me accidentally dropping the bride's ring when handing it to the minister. And we went back to the house rather early, planning on leaving the Airbnb to get back home in time to watch a football game on Sunday with my friends. My girlfriend had woken up first at 5 a.m. the following morning, and I slowly woke up after her. We were both restless and decided that we would leave earlier than expected. I asked my girlfriend what time the sun was going to rise, and she replied with 7.30. 
I wasn't super comfortable driving in pitch black in a part of the state that neither one of us knew very well. But my phone was on full charge and I had gotten a full tank of gas the night prior. At the time, it was 5.30, and even though my gut was telling me just to wait it out, I was ready to be home. We decided to just say fuck it, and we got into the car. I forgot something in the house, so I gave my girlfriend the keys to warm up the car as there was frost on the window, with the weather being around 45 degrees that morning. I pull up Google Maps, punch in my home address, and I found a route that would take us along the freeway immediately so that we could avoid dirt roads for as long as we did on the way down. In my grogginess, I picked the wrong route. And now, we were on a dirt road leading directly to the freeway, although that was a good 30 miles away. My girlfriend had put her hand on my thigh to warm herself up, as I am basically a walking space heater. She had her phone in her hand, directing me as I took my time turning around sharp turns and unexpected stops to ensure that we were going the right way. It was absolutely pitch black outside, and I had my brights on because that was the only light in the country at that time. We put in a good 10 miles on those dirt roads, with my anxiety heightened as I already hated two-way roads with the high speed limit, let alone in the pitch black night. This is when we hit the house. The one that I mentioned earlier. We passed by the house and entered another thick cloud of fog. Just like the night prior, a perfectly clear night with not a cloud in sight and now inside of a cloud. We got through the fog and joked once again about the house being haunted or something. And just as we were laughing about the house, I noticed in my rearview mirror a rusty, loud pickup truck pulled out of their driveway quickly. We could both hear the engine of the pickup rumbling behind us. It caught us off guard. They also had their brights on right behind us and they started picking up speed to match ours. My girlfriend told me to slow down to see if they wanted to go around us. I slowed down a good 20 miles per hour. They stayed right behind us slowed down, and stayed less than five feet away from my back bumper. It was weird. Now I sped back up to the speed limit, and I continued to travel down the road, still being cautious, going around corners, and on those tight turns. The truck stayed slowly behind us, patiently waiting for us to pick up speed once again. The faster I was going, the more the truck bobbed in and out of the left lane behind me. Then, when I would start to slow down again to see if they were going to pass, they would slow down and stay directly behind us. My girlfriend began to get more and more anxious with each movement that the truck behind us was making. She would grab my thigh tighter and tighter each time they bobbed into the other lane. At one point, it seemed like they had been flashing their lights at us to signal us for something. But I couldn't tell if it was due to them moving from side to side or if they were actually blinking their lights. Either way, it freaked her out, and I began to get more anxious based off of her. For reference, I'm a six foot two, 250-pound rugby player. I've played all my life. I'm also a strength and conditioning coach. I'm usually a level-headed guy, and very little gets to me. But with my five foot 10, 130-pound girlfriend in the car, 
who's a little bit of a hothead, I would absolutely end someone if they messed with her. But in the middle of nowhere, at six o'clock in the morning, and with truly nothing to defend myself aside from pure rage, I was feeling almost powerless. If something were to happen to me, what would happen to her? I don't even want to think about that. But we finally catch a break. We hit a well-lit intersection with four-way traffic happening. We start to relax a little bit as my girlfriend takes a deep breath. I notice that the truck behind us has their right turn signal on and I get relieved that they weren't following us after all and we could enjoy our tired ride home. The road that we were about to continue on was another unlit dirt road, but it was only another 15 miles to the freeway. So we continued forward and I watched in disbelief as the truck that had previously turned on their signal turned their signal off and continued forward. Now I say this out loud because I'm in such disbelief and he was still there. Oh, never mind, he's still behind us. My girlfriend starts to panic, but I assure her that we are in no position to be worried, lying to calm her down because I'm scared myself. We know where we're going, and we have a full tank of gas. As we continue on, the speed limit increases. I fucking book it, rolling 65 miles per hour down a dirt road, and lo and behold, he's right behind me, bobbing in and out of the left lane, pretending like he's going to pass, and then slowing down behind us once I slowed, flashing his lights like he's trying to tell us something. But there's no fucking chance I'm stopping. Up until the point of that intersection, I thought he was simply following the dirt road, as he always had. But to turn your signal on and then decide to follow the car that you've been tailing, they knew what they were doing. I don't think they ever saw us in the car or even knew who was in the car, but I wanted to keep them from knowing anything. We played this cat and mouse game of speeding up and slowing down for another 10 miles when finally he turns into a parking lot and kills the engine. We were still moving. We weren't going to stop and wait for them to get ready again. But the place they pulled into got my blood boiling. It was so random. It just pissed me off that someone got so bored they decided to recklessly scare the shit out of some city folk. We got the absolute fuck out of there speeding onto the freeway. I saw where he went, but didn't mention it until we were back in my hometown. We went to one of my favorite breakfast spots and finally relaxed when we got a fat stack of chocolate chip pancakes. My girlfriend got a hot chocolate, took a big sip, and finally asked, where did he end up pulling into? A fucking church. So, to that erratic driver that scared the shit out of me and my girlfriend, Driving home from a great weekend? Let's not meet. This was a few years ago, probably 2017. I was working for a delivery company for oil-filled parts in South Texas. This consisted of me being 5'3", 130 pounds, and 19 years old, driving a rather large flatbed truck with parts and pieces I would have to deliver to companies in and around the area. Having said that, I obviously had to deal with and be around 
quite a bit of men of all ages, considering it was oil-filled work. Eventually, I got comfortable, and it was no biggie because I tend to think I'm six foot and bulletproof if need be. On a normal day of deliveries, my boss asked me if I would run the truck by the car wash and get all cleaned up since most drop-offs consisted of dirt and mud. Of course, I said yes. A little fun time while working and a little break, I'm way down. He gave me the company card, and I was on my way for the day. Before the last stop of the day, I actually happened to pass by a car wash and decided that I would most likely stop by there on the way back since it looked decent and looked like it would get the job done. I had it all planned out. Last stop, then wash this big bad boy. Skipping to arriving at the car wash, I finally made it, and all the stalls were taken, so I was just okay with waiting. But as I'm waiting, I'm doing my normal people-watching, and I observe this older man in front of me, who I'm waiting behind. He seems like he's having trouble getting change from the change machine. He seems to be getting a bit flustered, at least as far as I can tell. I chuckle to myself, because that's just me. More than a few minutes go by, and I start to notice this man looking back at me, behind him, like maybe he wanted to ask me if I had some spare quarters for the machine. He seemed a little hesitant, but still continued to constantly look back at me. Eventually, he decided he is going to come up to me in the truck for whatever his reason was in his mind. He walked up to the driver's side door, and me being smart, I only rolled the window down enough to hear what he needed. Maybe he was letting me know that the machine was down, and didn't want to waste any more time. And boy was I wrong. This situation got scary and escalated very quickly. The man pulled out a sack of what looked like white powder tied up in a baggie and asked me if he could get in, and we could do some of whatever kind of drug he had. I was taken by such surprise that I just spit out, no thank you, and that I had to head out because my boss had just called. Before I could even roll my window up and much less finish my kind no thanks, this man was trying to open my door. Somehow I caught it just in time and slammed it shut, then hit the lock button in a panic. He then ran around to the passenger side and started yanking on the door handle, yelling at me, let me in now. My boyfriend, just a month or so before, had gotten me a cute little pocket knife with rhinestones on it, just to have in my purse for whatever reason. I never thought I would actually have a scary, true reason to pull it out, but I had one that day. I pulled that little pocket knife out of my purse so quickly and flipped the blade open while steadily keeping my eyes on this creep. My eyes never left his. They looked evil and up to no good, but I waved that knife around to let him know that I am in no way going to play whatever weird and terrifying game that he had planned. Surprisingly, he ran off sprinting to his vehicle, as he knew he was up to no good and had some kind of ill intention for me. I felt so much fear and panic as he was running off. I just took off in the truck. It was almost like tunnel vision. 
I was on a mission to peace out of there as soon as possible. Thankfully, I did make it out of there without hitting another vehicle or a person because I was absolutely flooring it, throwing dust and dirt everywhere behind me, making sure he was not following me. Now, to make the story ending short, I called my boss to let him know what had happened, and what he said to me has forever sent chills down my spine. He explained, I needed to get back now and stop nowhere and keep my eyes open and peeled to be sure I wasn't followed because he believed that this was an attempt of capturing me or baiting me for sex trafficking. It made total sense after thinking about the whole situation over and over again, as it seemed like the longest drive back to my job. We all have to stay cautious and aware of our surroundings, no matter how big or bad we think we are. But to the creepy, scary, possible trafficker, Let's not meet. I've been a long-time listener of the podcast and have thought about sharing my own misadventures with strangers for a while, particularly the story of when I was almost kidnapped when I was eight from a day camp. I was ready to share that story with your listeners, that is, until this story happened. I was preparing to move across the country and decided to start driving for Lyft. After I made the move, recently, I decided to keep driving. It was easy money and not a bad side gig. Plus, it helped me learn my new city. During my time as a driver, I met all sorts of people local politicians, owners to some of my favorite restaurants. I even made some business connections and gained some new freelance clients. Much to the dismay of my family and boyfriend, though, I often drove at night. Longer rides, better fares, more interesting stories. As a 5'1 female driver, I had my fair share of creepy guys. A few passengers would ask me for hugs at the end of the rides, Obviously, that got hit on a lot. Even had one guy try to climb from the back seat to the front while I was driving so that he could try and kiss me. I would just subtly flash the knife that I kept under my thigh while I was driving and they would back off. I have stories for days about my passengers, but my strangest passenger was one that I never met. It was late and I was on ride 6 or 7 out of the 10-ride streak bonus that I was trying to collect. The night was busy. I was getting pinged for new rides while I had current passengers. I was in the process of dropping off a passenger when the alert for a new ride came up for John. I accepted it, and it was only a few blocks away from the drop-off that I was currently making. I accepted. My low tire indicator came on, though. I thought, that's weird, I just filled my tires yesterday, and I haven't done that much driving. So, I sent the passenger John a quick text. Hey, stopping by the gas station real quick, let me know if I can get you anything for the wait. Be there soon. I stopped at the nearest shell and checked my tires. Everything was fine. It was weird, but all of my tires were completely full. So I hopped back in the car. The low tire indicator was now off. 
I shrugged it off and headed to my destination to pick up John. I pull up to the house, and it's completely black. No outside lights, no inside lights, no cars in the driveway, nothing. So I pressed arrive on my phone and let John know that I was here. I just assumed that he might be sleeping or watching TV in a back room. Wouldn't be the first time for a passenger to tell me they did either of those things. I was only stopped for about 30 seconds when I saw a dark car coming towards me, and I looked up just in time to see a female officer standing at my window. She motioned for me to roll down my window and asked me who I was. I told her my name and that I drove for Lyft. I'm here to pick up John. Her eyes got big, and she turned her head, said something into her radio, then turned back to me. You're here for John? she asked. Can you confirm the address? I did. She confirmed it in her radio. And at this time, several more vehicles arrived, a mixture of SUVs and local police cars. No sirens, just lights. The female officer asked me to pull off to the side, down the street, and wait there. I drove about three houses down, across the street, flipped my car around so that I could see what was going on and parked. Also, so no one could pop up at my window again, without me realizing it. I watched as the officers all mounted up their gear and stormed the house. It was surreal. After a few moments, they came out with a man in a light-colored shirt and dark-colored shorts. He was handcuffed and covered in something that I couldn't really tell what it was at the time, until he stepped into the spotlight of the officer's car, and I could see his arms, shirt, and legs were covered in a red fluid that I can only assume was blood. I was shook, just frozen and staring at the scene unfolding before me. The pickup timer had run out a long time ago, but I was, A, too absorbed in the scene, and B, didn't even know if I could leave since the police didn't dismiss me. After the suspect was in the police car and they started processing the scene, a male officer came up to my window and said, Are you the lift driver? I nodded. Couldn't think of any words. Even a simple yes wouldn't come out. He asked, Can you tell me the address of the destination he put in? I gave it to him. He stared at me and said, That's the train station. Looked at me in disbelief and wrote it down. He walked away, talked to a few other officers, made a few gestures at my car, and then walked back towards me. He said, I don't know if you're a praying person, but you're definitely a lucky one. He won't be needing a ride from you tonight. Go get some rest. Then he walked away. I sat there for a few more seconds, trying to process everything that happened. I turned the car back on, marked the ride as no-show, collected my $5 no-show fee, and signed off. I never signed on again after that. I often wondered what would have happened if my low tire had never came on and I wasn't delayed in getting there. I would have arrived well before the police did. Would he have stolen my car? Or maybe have harmed me after I took him to the train station?
And what crime did he commit for the police to already be on his case? Most importantly, where did that blood come from? So to the blood-covered John, who was using me as a getaway driver to the train station, let's not meet. English isn't my first language, so I'm sorry if there are any errors. Well, this happened a few days ago. I'm a 21-year-old guy, and my family recently moved to a new city. My dad is in the military, so we're used to moving every few years or even months sometimes. We live at a defense base. My dad is a senior most officer here, so our house is pretty big. So we needed to buy some furniture and other stuff to fill it up. About a week ago, my mom and I went looking for a carpet for the living room, and after a few hours of driving from store to store and not being able to find the right carpet, we decided we should head back home since it was already 7.30 in the evening. It was getting dark. My mom was concerned about catching COVID since our country is still getting a lot of cases, and we had already met a lot of shop owners that day. The street we were on had stores and shops of all kinds on both sides, and no vehicles were allowed on it. So we had to walk about 800 meters to get back to our car. Since it was getting dark, it also got rather quiet. Most of the stores were now closing for the day. On our way to the car, my mom noticed that there was a little carpet shop that was still open. We had somehow missed this one earlier. I wanted to head back home, but my mom insisted and said that we might just find the right carpet there, so we decided to check it out. The shop was not on the ground floor. Rather, you had to climb down a few flights of stairs to get to the entrance. My mom led the way, and as soon as we entered the building, I scanned through the shop. The room we were in was a long room with a very low ceiling. I could practically touch the ceiling if I raised my arm. It had a counter running the length of the room. Close to the door, on the other side of the counter, was the cashier who seemed startled as we entered the shop and proceeded to hide something behind the counter when he looked at us. Now, I didn't think too much of it. But this is when an attendant came walking towards us and greeted us, and the local language, and asked what we were looking for. To which my mom answered, with the dimensions, color, and design, etc., of the carpets that we wanted. At first, the guy seemed clueless of whether they have the product that we were looking for. He then turned to the cashier, who was still behind the counter. None of them said a word to each other, but they seemed to have communicated in some way. The guy told us that the kind of carpet we're looking for is on the second floor of the shop, and we can take the elevator up. At this point, I wanted to get out of there. It was already dark, and I wasn't sure about the storekeepers. They looked rather creepy. I was going to tell my mom that we should leave and come back another time, but she was already walking towards the elevator, following the guy attending us. The elevator was on the other end of the long room. The guy pushed the button and the elevator door opened. He asked us both to get in. 
The elevator was extremely small, and all three of us could barely fit in. I stood between my mom and the guy to make sure that my mom was out of his reach, just in case. As the doors were closing, an old guy, who came out of nowhere, tried to enter the elevator. This guy wasn't wearing a mask. He smelled like rotten fish and rum. It seemed like he hadn't taken a bath in forever. There was no way in hell I was going to let this man in. But even when it was obvious the four of us would not fit in the elevator, he tried to squeeze in. The attendant asked me to move a little and make space for him, but I told him that since the man, who was clearly drunk, wasn't wearing a mask, I wouldn't let him in. At this, both of them looked very annoyed. I told the old man to use the staircase and meet us upstairs. As the elevator doors closed and we started going up, I thought to myself, and I was sure that these guys did not have good intentions. This whole situation was very creepy, and by this time, my mom also wanted to get out of that place. As we reached the second floor, I looked out of the glass doors of the elevator, and I saw a dimly lit room. It looked exactly like the place a protagonist and a slasher film would be brutally murdered in. I could see a few carpets close to the elevator, but beyond that, the room was just absolutely dark. In this moment, I was ready to hit the guy with my elbow if he tried to make a move, but before I knew it, he gently nudged me out of the elevator. He indicated to me to walk into the room and rushed past me to the other end. Now to give him the benefit of the doubt, I told him he's just going to have to turn on the lights. But my mom and I stood close to the elevator in case the guy came out of the dark with some kind of weapon or something. Now, my eyes started to adjust to the lighting, and I realized that this room was huge. I could make out that there were quite a few carpets in the room, but as I scanned the room, I realized coming here was a mistake. I told my mom that we were leaving, and my mom must have sensed that there was something wrong. So she did not question me, and we turned towards the elevator. As we reached to press the button, we realized that the display was blank. The power for the elevator had been cut off. I grabbed my mom's arm, and we ran down the staircase. I almost bumped into the old man who was making his way up and pushed him aside. He almost fell down, but at that moment I couldn't care less. I ran all the way down to the ground floor into the long room we had initially been in and hurried towards the main door. I lost my shit when I saw the cashier closing our only way out. In a normal situation, I would have thought he forgot we were still there. But I was sure that he wanted to lock us in. I ran to the door, pushed him to the counter, and held the door open for my mom. This is when I realized that the cashier was shaking and his eyes were bloodshot. I left the room and we ran towards the car. As I opened my car door and got in, I saw the guy who attended us at the shop running towards us. He was too far behind, so it was easy for me to drive away. What the fuck just happened? My mom said after just a few moments of silence. She then looked at me and asked me why I suddenly ran from the room from the second floor. I took a few moments to gather my thoughts and then told my mom what I had seen. 
See, when I scanned through the room earlier, I saw something other than carpets. There were broken beer bottles, and that was enough for me to want to leave when I saw it, but on the wall to the right, close to the floor, were splatters of what looked like dried blood. And there was a lot of it. As I raised my eyes from the blood, looking into the darkness behind the wall of rolled-up carpets, I saw two other men staring right at us from behind some of the carpets. Now let me tell you, yes, I'm a huge true crime fan, and I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts like yours all the time, so I'm suspicious of any stranger that I meet, but what I saw at the back of that shop was clearly more than just a red flag. There was literally blood on the walls, and these men were staring at us from the dark. My mom couldn't say another word after it was all done, but she didn't have to say anything. It's been a few days since this happened, but even the thought of going close to that place gives me chills. I don't know why there was blood on the walls, why there were broken beer bottles on the floor. I don't know why the guy attending us had disappeared, only to run after us after we got into our car, or why the elevator had shut down. I certainly didn't know what the two guys in the dark or the cashier had planned for us. All I know is that I'm never going there again. So to the guy from the carpet shop, cashier with the shaky hands and bloodshot eyes, the stinking drunk old dude and the guys staring at us from the dark, let's never meet again. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, but the episode's not over. If you're a patron, stick around after the music for your ad-free extended version of this week's episode. This week you have heard Two Stories by Russ, A Foggy Trucker by Sam Squatch, The Car Wash by Brittany, The Last Ride by Chrissy R., and finally, Carpet Shopping by Sad Grim Reaper. All the stories you've heard this week, they were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet a True Horror Podcast is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. And as always, if you want to send in a story, make sure you send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. And if you do want to get access to that extended ad-free version, as well as all of the previous episodes and bonus episodes, head over to patreon.com forward slash podcast. I'll see you all next week for a brand new episode. Stay safe. of creepy and bad encounters but when i was 16 i started dating a guy who i'm going to call